thank you so much for choosing to come with us at the end, tail end of this holiday weekend. We always know there's lots of people on the road and traveling and people gone, and there's some people that aren't here because of that, and I know there's some people that are here because of that. So it's so good to see everybody that's here. Um, thank you so much for coming to worship with us. If it's your first time or the first time in a long time, we've got a gift for you. My friend Jamie Sapp right here, he's, he'll make sure he gets that to you after church if you see him on your way out. We just want to say thank you for coming and spending this time with us this morning as we turn our attention to the Father and what he has provided for us and what God has taught us. And to catch you up a little bit about the things that we've talked about um, over the last couple Sundays, we've talked about the barriers that keep people from believing. Or maybe more specifically, some barriers that might keep you from believing that God is who he said he is, that Jesus did all the things that he said he did, that the Bible claims that he did. And we talked about these different things that can keep people from believing in God. We talked about uh, sometimes maybe we just don't feel the presence of God. You, maybe you want to feel it. Maybe you want to experience God's presence, but maybe you've never felt that before. Maybe you see other people getting emotional and crying or raising their hands or reading God's word. Or you hear people saying that I, God clearly told me that it wasn't an audible voice, but he made it clear in my life that I was supposed to go help or I was supposed to stop or I was supposed, but maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe there's some other things that get in your way of wanting, you genuinely want to believe, but there's things that you just can't get over. There's things that, that keep you from really believing in God. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to say, I want to believe in God, but sometimes it seems like God just might be heartless. Have you ever heard people say that? Have you ever felt that yourself? Have you ever asked the question, well, if God is all good and God is all powerful and God is all loving, then why do all these atrocities happen? If God could stop it, why doesn't he? If God could end a suffering or sickness or disease or, or heartache, well, why doesn't he? Why does God allow these things to happen? And what I want us to talk about today in our time this morning is how do we deal with the, the honest reality when we feel like, well, what do we do when we feel like, well, God's not fair? What do we do with that? Because it's when we take these honest, real questions that we have about faith, when it comes to things that we have come to believe as Christians, when it comes to things that maybe you've been taught or you've read in the Bible before, what do we do with these things? When we really have honest questions and struggles, because the most dangerous thing to our faith isn't questions that we have, it's not doubts that we have, it's that when we don't create a space where we can ask those questions where we feel like we can be supported when we have, well, I'm just not sure. I know the Bible says that, Joel, but I don't really think I believe it. Well, ultimately, I know what it comes down to me, and this is easy for me to say on Sunday morning when you get ready and you get dressed and you come to church, but it really doesn't matter if I believe it or not. It, honestly, it doesn't matter if I like it or not, but what does matter is, is God said it. Does God's word demand it to be true? And then if, when I believe that, it helps me to digest the other parts of it, even the parts of the Bible that maybe I would prefer that weren't there. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. It matters that if God, it's in God's word and he taught it to us and he gave it to us. And God has gave us the lens through which we can view this life and we can understand it better. And that lens is scripture and it becomes overwhelming sometimes because it's a big book. Some of y'all like to read. Some people are okay. Some people hate to read. So it becomes a barrier. You might think, I could never read through the whole Bible. I could never read a whole book, or I can't follow along. I can't. 
sometimes it's easy to focus on what I can't do instead of what God has allowed me to do or to trust what God tells me. What he tells us in his word is that Jesus came and he, he lived a perfect life and he sacrificed himself on the cross. And through that, it was always God's plan to start the church that you and I are a part of today here. And God, Jesus and his work continued after Jesus went back up to heaven and it continued as the church started, as you can read about in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost and following. And there's all these miraculous things that happen. The apostles heal people. People are brought back from the dead. And the same spirit that was in the apostles was given to us as the church. And friends, that's why the church still exists today. Because it's the best entity, it's the best organization, it's the best thing, it's the thing that the world needs. And it still exists today and it will always exist because the power of God and the form of the Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit will help us to understand when we seek after God. When we really want to know, we diligently seek God, he's going to give us the answers. Not right away, not on my time frame, I find this to be true, maybe you guys have too but on his. So what do we do specifically when we have to deal with pain in life? We've been there. We've been through emotional pain. We've been through physical pain. We've been through times where we felt like we were let down an awful lot. And it just seems like, God, I'm doing my best to honor you and to serve you. And I don't see these things happening to my friend who could not care less about you. What do we do when God doesn't seem fair? I think one thing is that God has a purpose in pain. God has a purpose in pain. God doesn't always cause the pain to happen, but pain teaches us something. That's why God gave us pain receptors in our bodies so that we can know when we're going to be hurt and when we need to pull back. That's why we pull back when you touch something that's hot, because if you keep your hand on it, we just have that reflex. So we get hurt less. You touch a burning hot pot, your hand's going to get burned. But if you didn't have any pain sensors on your hand and you kept your hand on the pot, what would happen? Well, you wouldn't get hurt. Well, actually, that's not true at all, is it? You would still get hurt. Your hand would still be burned, but just because you couldn't feel it doesn't mean that pain didn't happen. So what happens is God allows us to feel pain because it teaches us things. It allows us to maybe to not do some things that we've done once before. Maybe somebody's let you down. Maybe someone who you had a lot of faith in, especially in their faith. Maybe it's somebody you look up to as a Christian, and then they had this moral failure or let down. Or you saw that they behaved a different way when they were around a different group of people than they were when they were around their people that shared their faith. And maybe that put a bad taste in your mouth for Christians. And maybe you thought, well, if they can't do it, I can't do it. Well, friends, the truth is none of us can do it on our own. That's why God created us to live together in community with other believers. And it's not just that, but it's when we're apart from one another, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us that can tell us what we need to pray for at times. That will help us understand God's word when we read it in scripture. God's word, remember it's the lens by which we understand everything properly. Go so far as to say that there are times when we don't know what to pray, the spirit will pray on our behalf to our father. That's comforting because there's times where words just fall short. Do you guys believe me if I ever tell you I just run out of words? <laughs> Preacher ran out of words, he has nothing left to say. Terry's shaking her head no. She said, no, I don't believe you, Joel. No, you sit in the back. You still, people can still see stuff because I can call you out on it. Okay, so it doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter where you are. Everybody else is going to sit very still and try not to move the whole rest of the time, right? But I remember when I was in graduate school in Illinois, when I'd come home from Saturdays, my longest day working at State Farm in the call center, I'd just spend an all day on the phone talking to people. And sometimes you had scripts that you had to read. Sometimes you had to go over certain things. Sometimes you had to read blocks of stuff verbatim for legal purposes because that's how insurance works. 
But I get home from work, and Jessie's been home all day by herself. This is before we had kids. And she's like, hey, you want to talk on the way home? And I'm like, I don't. I don't have anything left to say. I ran out of words at 10 o'clock this morning, and it's 4. Like, I'm tired. But sometimes when I know I need to talk to my Father, my Heavenly Father, and I don't have the words to say, I can rest knowing that God and his spirit on his behalf may give me those words to say, or maybe he'll utter them on my behalf. You know, sometimes or often life doesn't go the way that we want it. Sometimes it's the trivial things that don't matter that get us all riled up, and other times it's real, tangible, life-shattering diagnosis or the results of a test or decisions that are made by your, someone in your family who you love and that are going to stay with them for the rest of their life. Rooted passage is towards the end of the New Testament. It comes from the Apostle Peter. At 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 3. If you want to follow along, you can get out your Bible, turn it on, scroll to it. My big Bible should be up here behind me. Um, First, second Peter, first, second, third John, Jude, Revelation are kind of hard to find, especially on these little thin Bible pages because it's hard to turn one. You can turn a lot, um, but it's in the very back of our Bibles. Um, 1 Peter 1, I'm going to start in verse 3 and read and think about what, what happens in life because um, God's word helps us, to, helps us to know how we deal with life, both in the good and in the bad. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 3, the following, it reads like this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Stop there for just a minute. If you look what happens here when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to following God, it's nothing that I do, but it has everything to do with what God does. Amen? It's nothing that I do. Now, it's a decision that I have to make, that you have to make. You can't make that decision for somebody else, but through that salvation process where Jesus' blood covers my sins, it's not about me putting my faith in Jesus. I mean, I have to do that. But it's about everything that God has done. That's why baptism is so powerful. It's about what God does through the waters of Christian baptism that washes our sins away. It's not me. It's about God and what he has done. And that's what Peter tells us again. In First Peter, he says, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Those are pretty fancy words for saying that life is hard. And then we go through seasons where sometimes it seems like it's going to be unimaginable how difficult things is. But Peter says, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that you have tested the genuineness of your faith. More precious than gold that perishes, although it is tested by fire. And may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you worship with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Continues in verse 10. Just a couple more verses here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what a person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now what happens, this talks about Peter is addressing these various trials, and he's, addressing, he's writing this letter to other believers. He says, you're going to face these different trials in life, and sometimes those are necessary to refine our faith, to purify it. It's never going to be perfect. This side of heaven, we're always going to fall short. But what happens when we get through those difficult times and that I am forced to rely not on my strength and my ingenuity and my craftiness or lack thereof, but instead to rely on God and his provisions and how God puts a community of faith, other believers around me to help me understand God's word better, to minister to me when I need it the most, even when I'm too um, hard-headed to let other people know. God is there for us. And while God may not always cause the pain that happens in our life, and most of the time I'd say he doesn't, he can use it. That's why uh, the Apostle Paul goes so far to say in Romans that God can work for good in all things for, for people who trust him. If we're willing to trust in God and lean into him, God can turn a disaster into maybe a way that you can help somebody else down the road who goes through a similar crisis in their life. Maybe it's relational, maybe it's financial, maybe it's spiritual. But what God can use is that he can use the mistakes that we make when we lean into him and we stay close. Maybe God will use that. Now, God would never have wanted that to happen. But what we all learn in life is there are consequences, whether we like them or not. And the consequence of of sin is death. And connected to all those other things are destruction and broken relationships and disease and all this other stuff that we would never want, that God would never want. But the reality is, is that a price had to be paid for my sin, and I could never pay it myself. You can't either. None of us could. So that's why God sent Jesus to the cross to cover our sin. There are consequences to sin, and that consequence really is death. And Jesus took on that death so that, yeah, you and I are going to die in this lifetime, but we have a life to live eternally when the new heavens and the new earth come down. When God restores the garden, how it was in the very beginning, the Revelation talks about there's a new garden that we're going to spend time in with our Father. But it's only for those whose sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. So when terrible things happen, when sickness comes, when families are destroyed, when people are selfish, when those just let you down, that's a direct relation of sin. There is consequences, there are consequences to our sin. Even when we are forgiven for those, those consequences stick with us. But God is present in your pain. God is present in your pain, I can promise you that. Now, you may not hear him, but just because you may not hear him doesn't mean he's not there. And just because you may not hear God in a season, that doesn't mean that he's silent. Maybe it means that you're not listening. Or as I talked about a little bit last week, kind of what um, sin does is it insulates us from our Father. It's like putting on a whole bunch of clothes so you can go outside in places where it actually gets cold and you can deal with the weather, right? But it insulates you from the cold so that you can function, so that you don't feel the cold as much. Sin does that in my life. It insulates me from my Father. And it keeps me almost like putting on earmuffs, noise-canceling headphones, or putting plugs or whatever. It does that so I can't hear the voice of God speaking to me. Sin gets in the way. It prevents us from doing what God wants for us to do. 
The psalmist tells us in the book of Psalms, chapter 41, echoes this idea that God is present in your pain. Psalm 46. I think I said 41, didn't I? Yeah, good job. You're all paying attention. Awesome. And we all, yeah. Psalm 46. Um, Start in verse 1. God is present in your pain, the psalmist tells us this. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. The rest of Psalm 46 goes on to echo this in a couple different ways, but how comforting is that? God is present. He is there for us, our ever-present help in time of trouble. And what other time are we in trouble is when we feel pain. We need God there. Oftentimes, that can be when it's easiest for me to cry out to God when I have to, when I realize I can't do it by myself and I need his help, that I need his intervention. But we're reminded here is that God is there for us. He is there to help us. We want God to give us what he wants. What God wants to do is he wants to show us is that he is all that we need. Let me say that again. We want God to give us what we want. What God wants to do is to show us that he is all that we need, that God should be what I want. (laughs) It shouldn't be all this other frivolous stuff that moth and rust can destroy that isn't going to last it's going to be replaced or that's going to be outdated or it's going to break down or I'm not going to like it anymore after. But it should be God. It should be the thing that I want above anything else. Talk about God being present in our pain, God being our ever-present help in trouble. This story from the life of the Apostle Paul, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul recounts this problem this ailment that he was given, and honestly, we don't know exactly what it is. There's some theories, and we could talk about that a little bit, but sometimes we can chase rabbit trails as believers, asking questions that we don't have definitive answers to, and say, well, what if this? Well, what if this? Well, what if this? Well, what we can talk about is what we do know. Second Corinthians chapter 12. What Paul talks about in the beginning of chapter 12 is he talks about some visions, some pretty phenomenal things that he has seen that, I don't know about you, but if you go back and read that, I haven't seen these visions being transported up and seeing heaven. It hadn't happened to me. What Paul says is, I've experienced some very phenomenal things in my faith and in this lifetime, yet it's in verse, what, 7, where he follows that up with, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, talking about what happened in the first six verses of Second Corinthians 12. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from coming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, and this is God responding, really, this is Jesus responding to Paul where he pleads with God, says, take it away. I don't want to deal with this. I can't, I won't, I don't want to, I quit. Take it away, take it away, take it away. And God's response to Paul is this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We cry for God to heal us, and we want him to. But sometimes God's answer is exactly what he told Paul here. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Maybe God is saying to me, Joel, if I take that away, you won't rely on me anymore. You might become too conceited. You might become too puffed up. You might think that you don't need me and that you need that so that you are constantly reminded that you need me. And really what we have here, I, I don't know. I don't know how quickly it took Paul to come to that revelation. It said three times he cried out to God to take it away. I don't know if that was right in the same moment over the course of a longer period of time. But here what we have is Paul's writing a letter to the church in the city of Corinth, and God saved it for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a part of our Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is looking back on what has happened, and he is writing, you know, sometimes it's easier to look back on life, especially those difficult times, and see God's provision. And to see how God was working, or maybe in the moment we felt like he wasn't there, or he wasn't listening, or he didn't care. Where Paul is looking back, and from where I stand, and as I read this, Paul says, that thorn that was in my side, that physical ailment that I had, that I pleaded with God to take away, and he said no. It almost to me seems like Paul said that was a good thing. That was for my benefit. That was to help me and those people that I was going to influence for Jesus. Where he says, therefore, because of this thing that God did not take away, even though we had the power to do it, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. How often do you delight in your weaknesses? I get mad at my weaknesses, and we think, here are my weaknesses. I didn't make all my weaknesses better. And so I can, some things we're just terrible at. Right? Now, when it comes to our faith and things that we should do, putting my faith in Jesus, sharing our faith with other people, working actively together as the church, making disciples who can make more disciples, you know, we can't get off the hook and say, well, I'm just not good at, at following Jesus. No, 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 that doesn't work. But there's other things in life where it's like, I'm just not good at that, and I just need to, to realize it. <laughs> for when I'm weak, then I'm strong, Paul says. Maybe for you, maybe you have to delight in the headaches that you have, and you can use that time and say, maybe they drew me closer to Christ. Or maybe you have to delight in a job search, saying that I know that God is my provider and that he will be there for me. Or maybe you have to choose to delight in a hard season of life because it's going to break you of your self-sufficiency and give you some God-sufficiency to rely on him. Or maybe you have to delight in a lonely season of life. The holidays are great, but the holidays are hard. Especially the first, the first holidays when you lost someone you cared about. Or it could have been 30 years ago, and it's still hard when their birthday comes or their anniversary hits or the, the holidays are around and you can't go to grandma's house because grandma's house, she doesn't live there anymore. And maybe that house doesn't even exist anymore. Maybe your heart just aches. And maybe you have to delight in the season of loneliness so that we can be reminded, and this is what we're going to celebrate uh, over the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. It's this season of Advent where we wait with great anticipation to celebrate the birth of Jesus, where one of the names that's given of Jesus is Emmanuel. 
That means God with us. Maybe we have to celebrate or delight, not celebrate, but delight in maybe the loneliness you feel in your heart. But we can celebrate in this Christmas season because we know that God is with us. For when I am weak, then I will be strong. You know what? God's not always fair. He's not. God is not always fair. But what God is is that God is just. Okay? Because if God was fair, I would get what my sin deserves, and that is death and eternal separation from my father and from my family. If God was fair, that's what would happen. God's not fair, but he's just. He's just. It's very easy for me in life to look on to other people's lives and to pick out their flaws, to pick out how they're screwing it up. to think, well, they kind of had that coming. They deserved it. Well, guess what? God was fair. <laughs> I don't want God to be fair. Don't ever ask God to be fair. That's well, not pretty. But God is just. The psalmist put this this way in Psalm 103, um, starting in verse 10. Psalm 103, it starts out this way. I'm going to read verse 1, then skip to 10. A Psalm of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Verse 10, David continues, he says, talking about God, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He does not deal with us according to our sin. God doesn't deal with us according to the worst part about us. But he wants to deal with us according to the best part about us. The way that God created us to love one another, to care for one another, to be in community with one another, to recognize I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to have flaws, but God's still going to allow me to be forgiven and have the capacity to forgive other people. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our shortcomings. It's very easy for me to think about pain from my perspective and not think about things from God's perspective. You think about, as a parent, I've got two young kids. Um, sometimes you have to do things that your kids don't like. Sometimes you have to physically restrain your kids for something that is good for them, and they're screaming and they're crying and they hate it. That's why, as best that I could, when Abigail was little, or now eight-month-old, I'd take her to her shots appointments because it really doesn't bother me. I'm heartless, I'm cold, you can talk to me later, I can have counseling or whatever. But it really doesn't bother me, a baby getting shots. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Why? Because they're not going to remember it later, but it's for their good. And also, I'm heartless. I don't have any emotions. That's not true at all. But it doesn't bother me taking a baby to get shots at the doctor's office because that's for her good. It's going to benefit for her. It's going to keep her healthy. It's going to keep her from getting preventable diseases that cause death. So as best I could, I left Jesse at home and I took Abby to her shots appointments at the doctor because a mommy's heart just hurts when that happens. Last couple times, Jesse wouldn't let me do that. She took her. 
she took her. But even the same thing when Ella is six, when they've got to get shots and kids don't want to get shots. And when they're little, when they're babies, it's easy. When they get bigger, they can kick and scream. One of the last times that Ella got shots at the doctor's office, there were four nurses holding her down so that she gets shots in the doctor's office. And she probably can't possibly understand, why would you allow this to happen? In the same way, I have to think, not looking at pain from my perspective always, but from God's perspective. Sometimes God might have to hold us down and allow something to happen. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That God's power is made perfect in weakness. Now, Ella's six, and she's getting old enough to understand, yeah, that shot's going to hurt, but I know mommy and daddy love me, and they're not going to do anything that's going to harm me, even when I can't understand. She is starting to understand those things. In the same way as we grow and as we mature in our faith, as we grow from infants to kids to hopefully mature, disciple-making believers, we can see, well, God, that was the only way he could get my attention, to allow that to happen. Know that God is there in your pain. God is there for you. If you can't hear him, maybe there's some things you need to get rid of in your life so that you can start hearing that voice of God again. You know, it's easy to ask, say, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, why do good things happen to bad people? (laughs) I'm bad. I don't mean that lightheartedly or flippantly. But there's sin that's in my heart. There's things that I do that I I know that I shouldn't, that don't reflect Jesus really well all the time. Yet God still provides. God still forgives and offers me grace that abounds. I want to be really careful to only view life from my perspective because I need some corrective lenses, and not just the glasses I wear sometimes because my eyes aren't as good as they once were, but talking about a corrective lens view of life and to, to, to correct my heart I need God and his word a very present help in time and trouble let's pray together Father thank you for giving us the chance to delight in you God I pray that we can echo that I can echo these words of Paul that when we have these things that we would honestly rather not deal with and we might plead with you to take away and you don't God, may we trust you so much that we can say, God, I delight in my weakness because I know, God, I will depend on you for whatever I need, for whatever you're going to give. Father, thank you for this season of thanksgiving, for the spirit that you put inside of us. God, may we look to others and their needs before we look to our own. God, thank you for hearing us. It's in Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen.